0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight...
2: This is a commitment for $150 million into Zambia's mining sector. And I think this is a model for what we need to do more of.
1: It's a big deal. That's Gina Raimondo, U.S. Secretary of Commerce, on one of the biggest deals made at last week's U.S.-Africa Summit. Details coming up. Also, South Africa has deployed troops to protect some of its biggest power stations. Several banks have resumed services in Ethiopia's Tigray region. And Tunisian police have arrested former Prime Minister Ali Lahariyeh, we have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Nearly 15 new commitments between U.S. and African businesses were announced during last week's U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in fields ranging from mining to healthcare to basketball. More on some of the specific deals from VOA correspondent Mariama Diallo.
2: Gina Raimondo, U.S. Secretary of Commerce, talked to reporters about one of the biggest deals made at the summit, an investment by U.S.-based cobalt metals. This is a commitment for $150 million into Zambia's mining sector. And I think this is a model for what we need to do more of. It's a big deal. Why Zambia? Cobold Metals president and founder Josh Goldman says that when the company looked around the world for the best places to invest, Zambia rose to the top.
3: Zambia is a safe and peaceful place where we can hire exceptional people, where the laws support investing for the long term, where we can operate in ways that protect the environment and support local communities, and where the government supports our investment with actions that are fair and transparent and fast.
2: Goldman says his company will be working with the global mining investment firm EMR Capital and Zambia's public-private mining company ZCCMIH. Zambian President Hakainde Hichilema was at the signing and said this new partnership goes beyond his country.
4: This investment is in copper, cobalt around there, which are critical minerals to gravitating us from carbon-driven fuels to green fuels. Electric vehicles. That's what we're talking about. This is not about Zambia. This investment today is not about cobalt. It's not about zzzm, It's not about Zambia. It's about all of this and the rest of the world. As we grapple with climate change issues, as we grapple with replacing climate damaging fuels to green fuels and therefore electric vehicles. Very, very important to us.
2: Cobalt is an ingredient in lithium-ion batteries used in electric vehicles, tablets, laptops, and smartphones. Another signing occurred between two financial institutions, USXM Bank and the African Export-Import Bank known as AfriXM Bank. The latter's president and chairman, Benedict O.K. Orama, told VOA that by signing a memorandum of understanding, the two institutions moved from intention to action.
4: This is a memorandum of understanding for collaboration to support trade and investment between Africa and the US, with special focus on diaspora engagement. We have an envelope of $500 million attached to that memorandum of understanding. Uh, Also, we use this funding to support the critical sectors that Africa needs, the healthcare sector, the climate adaptation projects, um, aspects of transportation infrastructure and power uh, as need be.
2: The National Basketball Association was also at the summit to announce its ventures into Africa. The league's Africa CEO, Victor Williams, told VOA he was excited to be part of the forum because sports is an area where Africa has world-class talent. He said that while Africa NBA is happy to grow the game of basketball on the continent, there is more.
0: We're also uh, really interested in the opportunity for sport to be a driver of economic growth and development, as well as for sport to be a vehicle for social impact.
2: The league already has offices in South Africa and Senegal and plans to expand in other regions.
0: Earlier this year, we opened an office in Lagos, Nigeria, And uh, we just announced that in 2023, we'll be opening an office in Cairo, Egypt. This speaks to our commitment to grow our footprint on the continent and to use those offices as springboards to get closer to African fans.
2: He said each of those countries represents significant basketball and commercial opportunities. Mariama Jallu, VOA News, Washington.
1: It's been eight years since former President Barack Obama organized the first U.S.-Africa Summit. The three-day gathering in the nation's capital last week was the largest event that any U.S. president has held with African leaders. I asked uh, Professor Kawaku Nuama, Professor of International Politics at the American University here in D.C., about his take on the just-concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit.
0: Okay, I think it's a welcome event. It's a resumption of a conversation that started in the Obama years, was not continued during the Trump years. And it's happened at a time when there's a lot of turbulence in Africa, but also globally. And I think that the United States has come back to the realization that Africa matters and uh, that um, Africa cannot be lectured to. And uh, if you want to have a good, solid relationship with Africa going forward, uh, you got to start talking to Africans respectfully.
1: So most African countries have already uh, close ties with uh, China and some with the Soviet Union. Even Turkey has its share. Rapprochement with the U.S., uh, will it make any difference?
0: They should make difference in the margins because even though Africa's relationship with China is booming, and um, Russia, we see Russia emerging as a force, particularly on the security side in Africa, and we see countries like Turkey, even India, uh, making inroads into Africa. The relationship with United States and with the West in general is still very strong, at least economically. And so this should make a difference because you want to hear from your friends uh, in times when new friends are approaching you and trying to entice you to join their coalitions. You want to hear from the established relationships that you still matter. So I think that for a while, at least in the Trump years, uh, Africa was not treated as a, a continent of consequence And now we see the United States competing with Russia for African votes uh, in the General Assembly. And the time to ask Africans to stand with you is not when there's a crisis and you need your votes. You need to reassure them that the issues that matter to them also matter to you. And so I think that President Biden is doing the right thing. And I think that Africans, appreciate that. And what I hope is that Africans are coming up, coming to these meetings with a list of demands, things that they want, so that They don't just come and sit there and post photographs and go home, but actually get something out of these meetings.
1: You mentioned uh, President Obama and Obama's forum uh, eight years ago facilitated business deals between American companies and African leaders, as well as creating opportunities for U.S. officials to promote security and human rights with their African counterparts. Uh, Was there anything similar like that with this summit?
0: Uh, yes, uh, this summit is is uh, is going to do that. We've seen already 55 billion dollars pledged. Uh, we've seen new initiatives on health initiatives in trade. We've seen promises uh, that uh, the president is going to, the administration is going to get Africa a permanent seat at the j 20 They're going to set up an an office to uh, implement these commitments. So already we see that there's a new seriousness that's entering the conversation. And hopefully uh, it's not just talk. Hopefully these things are implemented. The president plans to visit Africa next year. So uh, we hope that uh, when he goes, he remembers these promises that he's made. And we hope that Africans hold not just our foreign partners, but also our own leaders uh, accountable uh, because we also have a path that we need to do to make sure that this relationship works for everybody
1: Yes, uh, President Biden last week repeatedly stressed uh, his administration's deep commitment for Africa, but he also urged the continent's leaders to respect the will of their people
0: and that 's not asking too much. I think that it begins with us. all of our problems uh, have local solutions, and I think that asking a leader to, to respect uh, the human rights of his or her citizens, that's, uh, that's the, the least we can expect from our leaders. So Africans have to show respect for our own dignity before we ask other people to respect us.
1: That was Professor Kawaku Nuama, Professor of International Politics at the American University. He spoke to me from Washington, D.C. <music> In South Africa, President Cyril Ramaphosa has deployed the military to protect some of the country's biggest power stations. Police have also arrested a number of people for allegedly sabotaging equipment essential to generate electricity. South Africa has been enduring blackouts lasting up to 12 hours a day for the past six months as state electricity company, ESCOM, lurches from crisis to crisis. Darren Taylor reports.
5: Sources in the South African National Defence Force have told VOA that military engineers and intelligence officers are among the army personnel, now holding a strong presence at power stations. The move is one
3: which was expected by the security industry and probably
5: welcomed. Andy Grutkoz, a former ESCOM security chief, now an independent security consultant, he says there have been several mysterious fires and equipment malfunctions at some of the peristatals, coal-driven plants recently. There are people who are suggesting that, in fact, there are some political machinations behind this
3: where the problems which ESCOM were experiencing were not just criminal, but they were politically inspired to pressurize André de to uh, leave the organization. It's a little bit of a
5: Machiavellian situation right now. Andre de is the CEO Ramaphosa appointed three years ago to save ESCOM and the country's electricity grid from impending ruin. But de resigned last week after senior members of the governing African National Congress, the ANC, accused him of mismanaging the power crisis. Throughout his tenure, Dorayta complained of being undermined by corruption, organised crime and sabotage at ESCOM. Claims that were always credible, says Grotko. Well,
3: certainly sabotage is a concern and it is ongoing. There are a few cases that have been revealed so far have been commercially inspired. One in particular that was revealed was a maintenance person who was removing certain uh, pressure plugs to ensure that there would be breakdowns and that would make sure that his company continued to receive maintenance contracts. He's confessed
5: to that and uh, is being prosecuted for it. On the surface, he says, crimes such as this would be for internal security in collaboration with police to deal with, which begs the question why Rama Porza sent soldiers to ESCOM power plants. Are these military going to be deployed inside
3: and sort of looking over the shoulders of maintenance people, or are they going to be inspecting the loads of coal that arrive to make sure there aren't rocks in the coal? This
5: does seem to be a little bit bizarre. We're not facing a military threat. Some security analysts are saying maybe the president's intelligence services have given him information to indicate that South Africa's energy infrastructure is indeed in danger from external forces. Ramaphosa sent soldiers to protect power plants in July 2021 when riots allegedly instigated by supporters of former President Jacob Zuma swept several cities. The ANC's leadership conference, currently underway in Johannesburg, is rife with rumour that the escalating electricity breakdowns are designed to undermine Ramaphosa. The President's supporters allege the sabotage is orchestrated by Zuma an allegation he dismisses as stupid. Corporate security specialist Calvin Rafadi says there are obviously all sorts of funny things happening in and around ESCOM, but deploying soldiers isn't the solution to any of them.
4: In this space, we're not sure what are they bringing, the military, they say... They're bringing 10 guards to each and every power station to look after the power station. The situation at
5: ESCOM, they've diagnosed it so wrongfully, it's far more complex than what they think. Rafadi says ESCOM's become a political battleground that's also infiltrated by organized crime syndicates stealing diesel, coal and equipment. These issues are for the police and politicians to solve, he says, not the army. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
1: You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehéyes Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Reuters says several banks have resumed services in Ethiopia's Tigray region. They closed after the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front TPLF drove out federal troops in June 2021. The conflict killed thousands and displaced millions of the region's 5.5 million people. The state-run Commercial Bank of Ethiopia says it has reopened branches in the city of Shire and the towns of Alamata and Koram. Lion International Bank of Wogaget Bank have reopened in several parts of the region. Reuters says none of the banks have reopened in areas still controlled by the TPLF, which is withdrawing its troops from the front lines. A deal signed between the rebels and the government of Ethiopia calls for a truce and restoration of basic services in Tigray. The TPLF, however, says so far not enough humanitarian aid has reached the region. In Zimbabwe, the rains have come in most parts of the country and farmers have started planting crops. But this is also the lean season that often leaves more people vulnerable to food insecurity. Reporter Kuzai Zenawashi speaks with the World Food Programme, WFP, to get a clear picture of the situation. Maria Gala is the head of external
4: relations at WFP in Zimbabwe which has been distributing food to the needy since October.
2: The Simvac report, coordinated by the Food and Nutrition Council, estimates that 3 million people are cereal insecure right now. This number will increase to 3.8 million people between January and March 2023. This is 38% of all the
4: rural population. While food insecurity has often been linked to the rural population of Zimbabwe, which meant this survives on subsistence farming. Kala says urban areas are not spared.
2: In urban areas, many are finding it hard to find food due to price hikes, inflation, and global economic shocks. The latest figures by the SimVac for Urban Areas, released in 2020, estimated that 2.4 million people were struggling to meet their basic food needs. Because of this, WFP
4: has been providing aid to the vulnerable in urban centers.
2: WFP currently supports more than 20,000 people in Mitsilikasi and Chiretsi with cash-based transfers. Additional resources are needed to scale up support to vulnerable city dwellers.
4: About $40 million has been raised to support vulnerable Zimbabweans during this period. WFP says they are grateful to USAID, Japan and Germany who have contributed towards this. The first rains have been far in between the next, forcing farmers to replant several times. One can be hopeful that another bumper harvest is ahead. For VOA, this is Kudzai Nawashe from Harare.
1: Tunisian police have arrested Ali Larie, who served as prime minister in 2013 to 2014. The government of President Kais Saied accuses him and others in the Islamist-influenced In-Ahada party of allowing as many as 6,000 Tunisians to volunteer to fight in Libya, Iraq, and Syria. Tunisian opposition parties say the arrest of Larry is an effort by the government to detract to distract attention from the vote for a new and constitutionally weakened parliament over the weekend in which only about eleven per cent of voters cast ballots. The powerful Tunisian General Labor Union says the boycott shows the frustration and despair of Tunisians amid rising prices, inflation, and food shortages. It also shows their rejection of Said's constitutional reforms, which granted him more powers while weakening the role of the legislature. The French news agency AFP says Islamic Sharia police in northern Nigeria have arrested 19 young people for organizing a gay wedding. A police spokesman in Kano says four men and 15 women, including the female organizer of the event, were arrested Sunday at an event center where the ceremony was taking place. All were remanded in custody pending further investigation. Authorities are looking for the would-be couple who escaped. In 2014, Nigeria passed legislation outlawing gay marriages and civil unions. Anyone confirmed to be in a same-sex union can be jailed for up to 14 years. AFP says same-sex relations are also punishable by death, though the sentence has never been enforced. An appeals court in Finland has ordered suspected Liberian warlord Jibril Mas- Masakwa to go on trial just months after his acquittal. The French news agency AFP says Masakwa, who was moved to Finland in 2008, is accused of atrocities including rape, Ritual murder and recruitment of child soldiers during Liberia's Second Civil War, which ended in 2003. Masakwa was a former senior commander of a Sierra Leone rebel group that fought in Liberia, the Revolutionary United Front. A Finnish district court acquitted him in April, saying the prosecution had not proven with sufficient certainty that he had committed the alleged crimes. The new trial will open on January 10th in the Finnish town of Toroku, about 170 kilometers west of Helsinki. It will move to Liberia in February to hear witnesses and to Sierra Leone in May, before returning to Finland by June 5th. And that... Wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokmilia Baro, and our engineer, Bob Bass, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.
2: Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Ah! Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week, right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host
0: of Press Conference USA, VOA's Newsmaker Interview Program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at VOANews.com or connect with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CarolCastielVOA or on Twitter at CarolCastielVOA. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and
4: Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to succoose, afrobeat to Dumbolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at nine o.